Whisky has been a staple of Scottish culture for hundreds of years. And to the Scottish people, it is more than just a drink. As literary historian David Daitches once wrote, The proper drinking of Scotch whisky is more than indulgence. It is a toast to civilization, a tribute to the continuity of culture, a manifesto of man's determination to use the resources of nature to refresh mind and body and enjoy to the full the senses with which he has been endowed. Even at the very beginning, there was an understanding that whiskey would hold a place in culture unlike that of any other drink. Even at the very beginning, there was an understanding that whiskey would hold a place in culture unlike that of any other drink. The earliest record of distillation in Scotland is in the Exchequer Rolls of Scotland for 1494, and in it they call the product aqua vitae, or the water of life. In this record, a friar John Corr received enough bowls of malt to make around 1,500 bottles on the order of the king. This would suggest that by the late 15th century, distillation was well established in Scotland. Where the art of distillation came from, however, is a little more unknown. Some suggest that it may have been brought over by the Beaton Medical Kindred. These were a group of physicians that had emigrated to Scotland from Ireland in the 14th century, settling in Isla in the early 15th century. They brought with them great skill in apothecary and natural medicine, able to tell the properties of plants based on colour, taste or smell. This was a rare feat at the time, so much so that Neil Beaton was eventually accused of witchcraft. Claire McKay, a medical herbalist and historian, suggests that, as the Beaton's time of arrival in Isla and the first record of distillation were so close, it is plausible to assume that it was the skills of the Beatons that began Scotland's love affair with the distillation process and its fruits. The practice grew rapidly, with whisky becoming the favourite drink of King James IV of Scotland and bringing it to the attention of the Scottish Parliament. They saw an opportunity to profit from this fledgling industry and began to introduce taxes in 1644. This continued with the Acts of the Union in 1707, where Scotland and England merged into the United Kingdom, leading to an increase in taxation. Parliament introduced a malt tax in 1725, which destroyed the mass-market, private, personal production of whisky. It became almost impossible for private producers to make whisky, and so many of the distilleries were shut down. This led to a rise in the production of illicit scotch. For the next 150 years, smuggling became standard practice, and the whisky producers began a nationwide game of cat and mouse with the taxmen. The production of whisky went underground. Scotch was hidden under altars, under pulpits, in coffins, and in any available space to avoid the government's taxmen or revenuers. Scottish distillers operating out of homemade stills took to distilling whisky at night when the darkness hid the smoke. For this reason, the drink became known as moonshine. 
disaster struck the whiskey business again in 1757, with a massive crop failure that forced the British government to prohibit the sale of distilled spirits for three years. Private stills, however, were not prohibited, and so enterprising Scotsmen began producing underground whiskey and smuggling it on a massive scale. When the ban was finally lifted, it was too late. The illicit whisky trade had grown its roots too deep for it to be removed. Although whisky was now legal, the underground distilleries had little inclination to start paying taxes. The tension between the successful illicit distilleries and the taxmen would lead to a rise in the illegal spirit business. Whenever the taxes were raised, more distilleries would open up. So much so that it reached the point where it was too large a problem to manage, no matter how severe they made the punishment. The wider public began to support the smugglers, especially under the increasing weight of the hand of the British government. The Highland clearances, the evictions of significant numbers of tenants in the Scottish Highlands and Islands, led to widespread resentment of the government and a growth in support for those viewed as maintaining their freedoms of production. The whisky would be distributed amongst the towns and villages by smugglers that became known as bladdermen. They would hide a bladder of whisky under their britches, keeping it from the watchful authorities and delivering it to their supporters. Women would be employed hiding two-gallon belly canteens made of sheet iron to look like pregnancy bumps under their dresses. Funerals were even co-opted for the enterprise, with phony processions transporting whiskey in the coffins or hearses. Sometimes, whiskey bottles would even be hidden in dead geese. One of the finest examples of the successful concealment of whiskey was the Highland Park Distillery in Orkney. They became known for hiding casks of whiskey in the hollow pillars of St Magnus Cathedral despite the reverend consistently reaffirming thou shalt not make whiskey in his Sunday sermons. At one point, it was estimated that Edinburgh had around 400 distilleries, of which just 11 were licensed. And by the 1820s, as many as 14,000 illicit stills were being confiscated every year, and it was estimated that over half of Scotland's whiskey output was illegal. Interestingly, one of the most well-known tax collectors of the 18th century was Robert Burns, Scotland's great bard. He trained as an exciseman before turning to writing some of Scotland's classic poetry. In 1785, Burns wrote Scotch Drink, an ode to whiskey that highlights the spirit of community, cooperation, and a friendly welcome. All things he identified as the true warmth of Scotch whisky. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by BCAD Clothing. Most of the time, history-themed hoodies and t-shirts are childish, cheesy, in your face, and most of the time, frankly, unwearable. But at BCAD Clothing, they create subversive, stylish, and subtle history-themed clothing that you can wear and not feel embarrassed. (laughs) They also use 100% sustainable, organic, and environmentally friendly cotton 
in all their items so that it's good for the planet as well. And the quality is insane. It just feels good to wear. If you want to check out the full range, you can head to presenthistory.co.uk, press shop in the menu and check it out. In 1823, the game changed. The Excise Act, released that year, cut the duty tax by more than 50%, presenting the underground producers with an opportunity to legitimise their business and grow legally. A licensed distillery was allowed to produce as much whiskey as they liked, without anyone peering over their shoulder. This led to an increase in quality, quantity and production pressure on the illicit stills. But a good smuggler finds other opportunities to continue their business. At the time, the duty tax was higher in England than it was in Scotland. This was a chance the, by now, highly experienced underground producers couldn't pass up. They turned their hands to smuggling whiskey over the border, innovating and evolving their black market methods. They even went as far as to train dogs to swim across rivers with pig bladders full of whiskey strapped to them. While the dogs were for more small-scale orders, the smuggling business grew again, with some estimates placing the volume of Scottish duty-paid whiskey crossing the border upward of 10,000 gallons every week during the 1820s. Many of the smugglers would travel in armed groups, each man carrying 30 litres in metal canisters strapped to them. In most cases, the excise officers refused to approach these gangs, fearful of the violent reception they might receive. Over the next few decades, whisky smuggling began to die out, with legal whisky dominating the market and becoming a legitimate business. During the 19th century, whisky went global. Titans such as James Buchanan, Johnny Walker and James Shivas took Scotch to the ends of the British Empire. Built on these foundations, the Scotch industry thrives worldwide to this day. Over 500 years after the beginning of whisky production, Scotch still stands as a massive proponent of the spirit industry and exists as a much-loved drink the world over. It has become a staple of movies, TV shows, and become synonymous with certain time periods, personality types, and characters. It has transcended its form as a drink, and become a part of personal, national, and cultural identities. To return to the words of David Deitches, it is a toast to civilization, a tribute to the continuity of culture, a manifesto, of man's determination to use the resources of nature to refresh mind and body and enjoy to the full the senses with which he has been endowed. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of the Present History Podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. If you did, feel free to leave a review, a comment, to subscribe on YouTube, Apple and Spotify, and to follow us on Twitter, Instagram and even TikTok. We have plenty of exciting things in the works, so stay tuned. You don't want to miss.
miss a single thing. You can check out our website at presenthistory.co.uk to find out about all that we do and to check out BCAD clothing as well. Thank you again for listening to this episode and we'll catch you in the next one.